being reasonable. Now heard on WHUPLP Hillsborough, WCOM Carborough, and WPVM Asheville. Being reasonable comes to you from the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsborough, North Carolina. I'm Mark Solomon, and you are taking part in Being Reasonable, the weekly conversation show that focuses on how we've arrived on our steadfast views and our desire to know what is true. To participate in this friendly collaboration, all you need is respectfulness and an honest interest in the truth. We can all improve the way we form and consider our beliefs. And we can do so by being reasonable. One, two. On this week's show, we first speak with Heidi Gessner, an ordained minister who serves as the bereavement coordinator and palliative care chaplain at UNC Hospitals. She sits down to discuss how the death of her father and other events have formed her beliefs. Next, we speak with Chris Powell, lead vocals for the Charles Hansen Family Band. He discusses how the dark times in his life have shaped his beliefs. But first up, Heidi Gessner, palliative care chaplain at UNC Hospitals. Whole unit of COVID patients and their families and, you know, just the intensity at the hospital. How does um so I don't go in those rooms because I we don't wear the PPE. Okay. But we're video chatting and I'm reaching out to their families and just trying to be supportive to them and then staff. We have a lot we've lost four staff in two weeks. One was COVID. We don't know. Lost meaning died. Oh gosh. So we do a lot of work with staff. Um, that are obviously, I'm sure your wife can attest, stressed out and depressed. and Yeah. So anyway, it's just closing in on the third month of this. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Starting to like get, I don't know how people are going to sustain it. Yeah. Because it really is so exhausting. Different conditions have different types of pain possibly associated with them. Oh, right. And with palliative care and COVID is there certain types of physical issues that... Well, respiratory is, right. you know, breathing. And is, how a palliative care team fit into something like that. Right. You know, they're just going to look at the whole person and see what can bring the most comfort yeah. to that patient at that time. Because sometimes, you know, physical pain runs deeper. So it's like psychic pain or you know there are other reasons why someone's pain on a scale of one to ten might be a nine and someone might have a three and sometimes that's because of all the we have unresolved so sometimes working through that can be helpful with people too which is where i am and the social work you know we kind of work through with families and patients on what's What's stopping them from feeling more peaceful? I don't do as much, you know, obviously, as the physical stuff. But we're learning as we go. What is the goal of palliative care? The goal of palliative care is quality of life for however much longer we have versus quantity. So, like in the hospital, physicians are trained to keep people alive and fix them as long as possible. And palliative care is more realizing when it's time to kind of let nature take its course almost. And how can we make that the best it can be for you and your loved ones? And what are your goals? You know, saying you have a limit, limited amount of time left in your life, as we all do, what would be most important for you? And so oftentimes, if someone's not too physically sick, 
it can be the richest time of their lives. That makes sense. It does. I can see how being at the end of one's life can put things more in perspective of what is important to focus your remaining attention on versus not. Yeah, it's not really unlike the pandemic. Mm. I mean, it's all, I think it's made us all kind of reflect on, you know, what, what's important to me now. And we don't have our distractions yeah. available to us right. where we may have gone to to not have to look at difficult things in our lives right. or unresolved things. And now it's almost like a mirror. And so we have a choice, actually. Mm. Do we want to lean into these things or not? So I feel like this pandemic's terrifying and has some beauty to it, too. Interesting. And it's not that unlike palliative care. So palliative care comes in to kind of pull out some of that beauty, extricate it, help people see that of their lives, make meaning of their lives. So the goal is to get them to a peace, as peaceful as possible. I can tell you kind of the way I got into this, which Please. might fill it out a little bit more. Okay. But um, I wouldn't have known what a chaplain is in college. Uh-huh. I was actually a radio reporter for public radio in Charlotte at oh, WFAE. Wow. And um, worked for my father for several years, who was a textile machinery. I went through divorce in uh, when I was 30, and then I found out, like, two months later, in the midst of that, that my dad had terminal lung cancer. Oh, goodness. My dad was treated at Duke, and I was working at Duke at the time, doing um, recruitment for studies, and so... I spent a lot of time with him when he was in the hospital, and my mom couldn't really deal with it, so I kind of became his primary family member. And it was the one of the most special times in my life. My dad was a type A businessman. He traveled all the time. He was German. And here, as his ego got stripped away, here was this funny, gentle... I mean, we just really bonded in ways we never had. Yeah. So, yeah, so here I was in this hardest time of my life. And yet, for me, I found a depth I hadn't found up until that point in my life. And then at the end of my dad's life, which was under six months, he went home to Charlotte with hospice. And that was, we didn't even have a chaplain. We just had a nurse. And I have three siblings, and we were all there And I remember thinking, once this is over, I need to check out this organization. Yeah. One of the times I was going home to see my dad and mom from Durham, I was going down 64. I went the back way by Ashboro. And I actually had this transcendental experience of, you know, I was weeping. I had been going through this divorce. I was like, my dad's dying, you know. I never thought my life would be like this at 30. You know, my friends were having their first babies. And um, I just had this presence, this feeling of presence in my Honda Civic as I was driving. So much so that I turned around to see who was in the backseat of my car. And I saw when I turned around this full moon shining in through my rear window that I hadn't even been aware of. And I can tell you at that instant, I went from disconnected despair, you know, probably the lowest point of my life to feeling completely connected to something bigger. I mean, I wasn't religious. I wasn't, you know, I just had this very personal, almost an invitation that where I felt held and loved and that everything was go- it was going to be okay. And from that moment on, I almost felt like a citizen of two, two worlds in a way. Like, there's something bigger. There's like a universal intelligence or God or divine or something that I experienced that I had never experienced before. It had nothing to do with church, but it... it has been formative for for the rest of my life. And I knew that when my dad died, who's going to be okay? 
and I have continued a relationship with him for these 25 years. And so I often use with grief groups with people, W.H. Auden has a great quote that says, death ends a life, not a relationship. How does that happen? Yeah, so how that happens is kind of the tail end of a grief cycle. It's really in the last phase, which is the acceptance, that we realize we have all this love for this person. Okay. And that we can still maintain a relationship with them. For me, with my dad, it started with baby feathers. So I, you know, there's a, there's a part where you're like, where are you? You know, what has happened to you? And for me, whenever I would think about him and wonder, I would find a baby feather. Yeah. In the strangest places, like in a parking garage or, you right. know, I, that one summer I was on Cape Cod and I um, went for long walks and I would find feathers. And to me, it was my dad kind of speaking to me um, that he was okay. Because having lost a parent myself, I could see finding things like feathers and wanting to believe that that is somehow a communication with him. But then I'd want to know, is that me having a communication with him? Or is that right. me something else? Wanting to have a communication. Yeah. How, how do you resolve? Yes. How do you resolve that? Well, so, um, yes, and I ask those things as well. I can just say that like when I get really still, like in a meditation or something, I can often feel his presence with me. Um, and so the feathers, so I, I did go through that phase. Um, I don't know. I probably still do. Um, it went to geese. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole bird thing for some reason. But when I would be at my most frightened or most worried, whatever, I would always hear geese fly over my house. I am fully a belief that we live in this universe that talks to us, that's open to being understood, if we're open to it. How does it talk to us? Well, it talks to us through birds. For me, when I started really kind of coming into my own, it became cardinals, red cardinals. And I would look up meanings for, you know, when it happened to be. And cardinals is, um, you know, their meaning, I can't remember exactly, but it's basically like um, coming into your power, coming into your own. And it was just interesting, all the different meanings of birds, like hawks. And so um, I think if we pay attention, the universe is always talking to us. And it's interesting because we're having this conversation Right. In a backyard full of chickens. Who are talking to us, it sounds like. Is it possible, generally speaking, not in your situation, to have a belief and this belief be comforting and this belief be helpful and help us interact with others and help us resolve past relationships and this belief be positive basically in every way yet? the belief not be true. Does that make sense? But how do we know it's not true? I mean, it might be true for that person. And I think if we believe it, it's true for that person. Are truth subjective then? I mean, in this case, it seems like yes. Maybe we could do a thought experiment real quick. There are a certain number of chickens roaming around my yard right now, yeah. as you can see. There are either an even or odd number of chickens. Could we agree that if we count them, we could find a truth that we could both agree on that would be this objective truth that would exist and persist whether we exist or not? Um, I'm not sure I'm totally following you on this. Well, they're either an even or odd number of chickens. Mm-hmm. And there's an answer. It's either either. Right. It's either even or odd. And we could find out the truth if we counted them. Right. Could we agree that that truth is objective? Meaning? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, the thing about 
the work that I do in the hospital is, you know, we don't have a lot of research, you know, that objective stuff you can point to. Um, you know, like, yes, that would be objective. But I feel like... Um, you were talking about your personal truth, and I would think you were meant talking about how tr these positive beliefs, in which your case you're talking about birds being symbols and the connections to people who are not here. And you were telling me that truths can be subjective. And I'm trying to understand, can they be? Yeah. Um, I do, yeah. I mean, I understand the chicken uh, metaphor too, and that would be objective. But yeah, I think once you believe something you know, about a truth in your life. It's true for you. I mean, if you believe that, um, one example that's coming to me, I don't know why, but one of my best friends, well, she is my best friend from Massachusetts growing up. She would always say, that's great, that works for you, Hyde, but I'm, I'm just practical. And we were in Naples a couple of Februarys ago, sitting on her parents' porch at sunset. And her favorite Van Morrison song came on that I can't think of the name of right now. The sun was just setting, and there were geese flying over at the same time, and we both just got chills. It's almost like you have to fake it for a while if you, you know, because I grew up in that same way she did, very practical, very... But I, I guess for me, the more I lean into listening for what the universe has for me the more things open up in that way. And when I don't, things don't go well. So I think what you're saying is subjective truths are real and they're true. And we can just all have our own truths and our own reality about how the world works for each and every one of us. Is that what you're saying? It is. Um, the thing is, is we're all really, <laughs> we're all really one. We're all like waves in the ocean. You know, we're not disconnected. We're, we're all very connected. So it's kind of like... Well, should we be functioning in the same reality then, if, if that's the case, if we're all connected? Well, hopefully we are in the same basic reality, but it's just, we're manifestations right now of kind of a universal consciousness, right? And we're doing our, what our soul work is, like you doing this podcast, right? This is your, what I imagine brings you energy and... What if I told you I'm not sure why I do this podcast? Well, I would believe that too, <laughs> because I have many things. I don't know why I do some things, but that's exactly it. So that is your deeper self. We continue our conversation with Heidi Gessner, ordained minister who serves as the bereavement coordinator and palliative care chaplain at UNC Hospitals, as she discusses how the death of her father and other events have formed her beliefs, coming up after this short break.
charming in 94, but not so much anymore. Over the next few years, we've taken paths of least resistance, like Aaron and Garrett, in going the distance. Though we still watch movies, our flame has demised, like when Henry died of a heart attack in Home Pride. Sensitive to cultures not my own I don't love anyone except for, of course, Canadians All love is like Drew Barrymore Charming in 94, but not so much anymore Our love is like Drew How about a thought experiment? Let's say we are in the midst of a pandemic, hypothetically. And they who come out. Who would have ever thought that? Who would have thought? And in two weeks, they come out with a vaccine. Let's say half of the country says, we will not take this vaccine. Vaccines are harmful and vaccines don't work. And vaccines will hurt more people than they help. I can show you information that says that. That's the truth. And then another half of the population says, no, vaccines do work. They're safe and they're effective. And we all need to take this vaccine so we can all survive this yeah. pandemic. I can see that happening <laughs> in the world We're, we live in, right? We, it's possible, right? Yeah. And so we have two sets of people who have two sets of truths. We can have two sets of truths, two sets of realities that way? I think so, yeah. How is that? Well, I mean, if that's what those people believe, like for me, it would be, like I have to come back to myself, right? And start with me. And like, what is my deepest truth? What I would try to do, in that, because I would be the one who would want to get a vaccine, is is just have conversation with that other person. Like what... Tell me more about it so I can help me understand. Does believing a vaccine works or believing that a vaccine does not work have anything to do whether a vaccine works or doesn't work? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I would just... um, Respect the other person's, you know, what I, I don't know. I mean, if it's... It would just seem like in this situation, it would be really important to find out what the answer is. Because if the vaccines are not safe and effective, we could end up killing a lot of people. Oh, well, hopefully and if they, vaccines are Well, hopefully safer. they would be safe and effective if we were going to be... Right, but half the population, let's just say, right. does not believe that. And half does... It would seem this would be an important situation to find what's real, what's true and real. Well, I guess we'd see if people were getting better from, you know, the vaccine and not getting the virus. Do people's personal truths or personal beliefs have anything to do about whether the vaccine in the end works? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, I think if it works, it works. I think it's more like, does that person believe it's going to work? Does someone's individual belief about whether a vaccine works or doesn't work will have any effect on it working? Mm, It might. If they don't want it, you know, if their deep belief is that it isn't going to work. Uh-huh. It may come out sideways in other ways of, you know, getting sick or 
I think we have more control than we acknowledge. So what you're saying is if I took a vaccine for coronavirus or for the flu or for chickenpox or for anything, and I told myself, I don't want this vaccine to work, there's a greater likelihood. Or I don't think it's going to work. Or I don't think. That's why I don't want to take it, because I don't think it's going to work. Right. But if I took it, if I'm telling myself I don't want it to work or it's not going to work, then there's a higher probability of that vaccine not working. Because I think our intention is huge. And if your intention is, this isn't going to work, then our bodies respond to it. Because our body... So we don't know. Here's the thing. We don't know if it's real or not real, what we tell ourselves. So if we set an intention, our mind starts trying to figure out how to make that work. I don't... I'm, I'm just a little confused because I don't. I know. I just, it's, you know, we sometimes we have different languages that we talk in, and that's not how I think about things. I help me understand where you're coming from. If I woke up this morning, and the intention I set is, I am not going to contract the coronavirus. That's my intention. Will that change whether that day I contract the coronavirus if I? go out and interact with other people, if I go to the beach, if I go to a crowded restaurant, and I live my life like I want to, but in my mind, I have the intention, I am not going to contract that coronavirus. Will that intention have anything to do with whether I contract the coronavirus? Well, I think you have to be smart about it. I mean, you can't say that and then go, you know, running into a crowded restaurant when we know that it's an airborne virus. So what does intention do then? I'm just trying to But what I'm saying is it can help that. You can set that intention. You can visualize healing light around yourself, a protective light. Um, You can visualize kind of breathing in health, exhaling, you know, how does that? How would that stop me from contracting... A disease. I just want to know how that works, how it, so I can understand. That would be the million-dollar question. It's it's really faith and belief. And by faith, what do we mean? Faith is by that I would say not necessarily scientifically proven, but it's a belief that you have. Yeah, that it's going to help you. And I think so, just so I can how you understand, under- so we can yeah. talk about the same thing. Yeah. So having faith is believing in kind of your values and what's meaningful for you. Having faith is believing in values. And isn't that great, though? It's it's beautiful. <laughs> I would love to believe it if it were true. You can just believe it. What if I want to believe in things? that are true and real. But what if this is true and real? How could we find out? (sighs) That would be faith. I mean, you could go look at, you know, there are some books, Proof of Heaven, Map of Heaven, you know, you could go look at that. But this is not scientific, you know, data. This is where faith, that faith idea comes in. And personal experience. If this belief was not true, how would you know it? Say more about that, if this belief was not true. If this belief you have about the universe talking to you. And you, like all, and me, it's available to all of us. But if that belief was not true, and I'm not saying that's the case, but if it was, would there be a way you would know it? Well, I think I would start questioning it if I didn't have repeated, when I'm querying something or, you know, curious, and then I get a response that I'm very familiar with, if I wasn't getting those repeatedly, then I wouldn't be like, wow, that's so cool that that just happened. Like, did you just see that? If things weren't happening for lining up 
That's probably like clear as mud. But um, I guess it's coincidences and synchronicities lining up when um, I'm leaning into something like an intention. And if those weren't happening, then I wouldn't believe it. But that was from the very beginning when my dad was sick and this all was happening and my worldview and beliefs were changing. There were so many synchronistic events of, you know, when you're thinking about someone and then they call you, or I would be thinking about a song and then it came on. In those situations when a song comes on or someone calls you right when you think or hope that they will call you, how does you thinking about that cause that thing to happen? I don't know if it causes it to happen or we're just more like it can be an intuitive thing. It can be intuition. I don't know if we cause it or we just are tapped into our intuition. It's just a, it's just a deeper part of our mind. It's a, you know, we only use 10% of our brains. 90% are is that true? That is, from what I've read, true. So we only use about 10% of our brains. And intuition is a deeper part of our brains. So that in, we can, intuition's in our brain? Well, it's in our soul. It's in our being. But we can tap in once we start trusting our intuition. And maybe you can, all, again, strengthen that. If we didn't have a brain, would we still have intuition then? I think we would, because I think it's a soul thing. But it's probably, you know, it's probably that deeper part of our brain, too. Maybe an example would help. I am not a billionaire. But what if I believed I was a billionaire? And I believed I was a billionaire. I gave more money to other people. Uh, People thought that I was a nicer person. But the fact is, I am not a billionaire, and that belief is not true. Yet. (laughs) You're not a billionaire yet. But I think there are ways— So me believing I'm a billionaire will make me more likely to be a billionaire. Is that true? I believe it is. Like, you could take an index card and put a figure on it. Mm-hmm. Like one billion dollars. Yeah. Put it next to your bed and look at it every morning. And remember, oh right. And then remember, this makes me feel more intuitive. This makes me feel more confident or whatever. And if I do that, let's say for three years, I look at this index card and it has one without however many zeros behind yeah, how it. How many is seven? I don't uh, know. I don't know. And after three years Instead of a little bit more money or having more sources of money, I have less money. What does it say about that belief? Well, I mean, I guess you could believe it wasn't true. It's up to you to decide that. Next, we speak with Chris Powell, lead vocals for the Charles Hansen Family Band. He discusses how the dark times in his life have shaped his beliefs. Coming up after we listen to a track from the Charles Hansen family band, Hot Rod Jesus. I was driving 
I was born in North Carolina in High Point. I think that's what it says on a certificate. And then went to East Carolina University. And then at 22, I moved to New York City and lived there for seven years. Well, when you were there, were you music or was it just I something was else? In, I, was, I was kind of um, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, so to speak. I, I was a creative writing major in college. It turns out one of our, our bars where we're kind of like the resident band at the bar, the bartender, Byron Tolson, he and I went through the same path at ECU. We were both protégés of... Uh, Bill Hallberg and uh, and a few other professors in the English department, and I had gotten to that point where I'm like, I can't make up anything more. Yeah. I I don't have any life experience. I'm continuously writing about rural life down here, and I want to write about traveling, and I want to write about city life and things that are more cosmopolitan. But I don't have that experience, so I moved to New York City, um, basically with backpack just to try to make it up there. I'd had an opportunity to do some modeling work. Uh, work with some photographers, and I thought, okay, well, that sounds great, and I realized this, it's a hard way to make a living, and I did every kind of work you could think of in New York, janitorial work, sure. catering, doorman, yeah. um, boom, oh, God, ser- service, right. uh, some modeling work. I got I got lucky enough with that to travel around. I went, uh, lived about two years in Europe. Really? Um, in Athens, Greece, Paris, Milan, Hamburg, Germany, and then most of the time in New York, broaden the horizons. And that, that definitely helped with the creativity. Yeah, and so fundamentally you're foremost a writer. Yes. Started out with writing creative fiction and our creative short fiction. I, I thought I was going in the uh, screenwriting route. Um, that's what I wanted to do in New York. I thought potentially I'd get into the film academy up there. Uh, I love the idea of how action and, and language correlate and just being able to translate what I could see through the eye verbally, I thought was pretty cool. Uh, I didn't get as far as I'd like to with it because I ended up meeting my my first wife. I'm going through a separation right now, but we met in 2007 and were married in 2010. And at that point, I kind of that was a juncture in my life where I sort of put the writing on hiatus yeah. and focused on family. Um, I went more intensely working in the fashion industry. I worked for, uh, gosh, Prada, Carolina Herrera, uh, another French company called Roger Vivier. And then my wife and I had a company called Melt Warehouse. That was in, we, we represented brands from all over the U.S. and handled their sales and logistics and distribution in the, in the u.s huh. yeah it was it was i've wow, had an interesting uh, 13 years my my past has been a bit here and a bit there and um so what finally brought you back here family and we were living in california we we moved from connecticut to california we lived there for three years and i have two children i got a, a five-year-old son named james and a six-year-old daughter madison and my partner was australian so we've we've always lived on our own, and we said, well, heck, you know, let's come back to the East Coast yeah. from California to be closer to the grandparents. Yeah, we ended up going through a divorce, so that that yeah. kind of sucked. But sure. yeah, that was the that was the impetus for coming back. From what you told me, you've kind of lived mountaintops and valleys. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think the shadow is something that it's it's one of the parts of the self that everybody carries around. It's either a some experience that you had that is traumatic or something that's uh, negative that that had a negative uh, a mega impact on your life that you carry around with you that either can bring you down to the bottom of the whale crap or you can flip it on its head and it's super regenerative or generative. I've come from some places of deep darkness, um, certainly. In the last uh, 10 months, it's been really a struggle with the separation. I, I haven't seen my, my children in seven months since uh, September. Goodness. So before we started the band, I was going through uh, an intense time since probably about July uh, when I knew the separation was going to happen and things were, were not going well with my personal life. And I knew that uh, my partner was dead set on moving back to her home country. And I just I couldn't see myself fighting fighting it out here like it was going in a, in a super negative place. So I was trying to prepare my body and my mind through meditation and whatnot 
for that day when I when it when in fact there was this this physical separation. I remember taking them to the airport that morning and, and dropping them off. And I was I held my stuff together pretty well, but then I got back to the car and I had this primal rage that came up or this I don't know, this pain. This it was a, something that I've never felt before. It kind of shot all the way up every synapse and like out my skull. And I was inside my car and I let out this guttural yell that I've never, I've never felt like that. And that, that kind of um, intense uh, gravity just followed me around probably for, ooh, some months. It's still, it's still like there, but it's, it's gotten more controlled at this point. And, uh, and I kept telling myself, you know, I've been preparing for this to, to that all that negative energy and all that that darkness from that the opposite of that is okay you can do something incredibly productive and skillful to get your stuff together and to get right from this and i think somehow or, or another a lot of that has trans has transferred into the music and um being able to when i need to to tap into that um that side of myself that's yeah. been through the bottom to to bring out from that maybe an experience that's going to help somebody else down the road or to create something that's going to be um uplifting so it sounds like you're going through some hard times and yeah, a little bit you're starting to see light coming out of certainly yeah i've been i've been lucky um i, I get to talk to my kids a lot you know no amount of like FaceTime and, and whatnot is, is going to be adequate for actual physical time. And I was supposed to be in Australia in April, early part, and then the quarantine happened and tickets got canceled or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I get to live um, with my brother and my guitarist in the band. And that and we've had campfire after campfire. And then it's just been like therapeutic. What are you saying about negative things that I'm happen? I'm saying that the negative is the manure in your life that can be the bed for the the rose garden to come up. Gotcha. Yeah. So being able to look at the crap and being okay with that right. and being like, okay, this is part of the collective consciousness. We're all going through the crap. Right. And okay, it's how we deal with that, whether we do it in a mature way or whether we, we let it sink us down into the muck or into the quicksand and fill our head with alcohol or excessive, I don't know, heroin or whatever it is that's going to kill you, what, what, whatever kind of vice that it might be, which can linger with those sorts of things. And yeah. um, I, I started to feel that my life could have gone down that direction probably a couple years ago with, with alcohol. I, I stopped drinking probably two and, two and a half years ago, and I started going on a journey of self-discovery, yeah. therapy, meditation, just different ways of uh, looking at life and, and reading. I started realizing that the reason I was drinking was to deal with uh, just negative emotions in my life. And uh, being able to deal with those negative emotions in a sober state, I didn't feel the need to, to, to deal with uh, or to, to drink anymore because I had my, my, my confidence back. I started understanding who I was as a person. What do you attribute your turnaround to? You know, a lot of people go down that road and stay down that road and don't come back. I got lucky. When I, when I decided that I wanted to quit alcohol, and it was really, it was at a point where I was going through marital, I, I, I'd probably say it's a, it's a combination. I was going through stress with the marriage, so I wanted to try to save my marriage. And I made a commitment to myself, let me give this a go, a hard crack, uh, because we'd already been married nine years or eight years at the time, been in and out of marriage counseling plenty of times, but this this was something different. I wanted to try something different to fully commit for a year without taking in any substance, no alcohol, um, and intense therapy, whether marriage counseling or uh, individual, and to try to work it out. Uh, just go the raw route and and see if this if it was actually something that was. Our, our disputes were caused by friction from, from alcohol or whether it's, it's other stuff. And turns out it was mostly other stuff. Like we, we still, at the end of the time, we, we were fighting about every other little thing. Uh, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't coming back together again. I guess the egg might've already been broken, but 
I was able to talk with some really amazing professionals and get a grasp on on my youth and some things that might have been driving me in the marriage uh, to to go to the dark side, so to speak. And um, I'm really lucky that I, I had in California affordable health care that provided you with mental health coverage, and I was able to speak to some counselors. I thought that was one of the best things, being able to speak to uh, an adult, either a male or a female, who's in a pretty stable situation mentally is, is, is really, it's important for, for young people. I don't think a lot of folks have that, and uh, I'm, that probably helped me out a lot. From the WHUP studios in downtown Hillsboro, North Carolina, I'm Mark Solomon, and you've just listened to another episode of Being Reasonable. Questions? Thoughts? Connect with us at beingreasonableshow.com. Plant a raised rose bed 
want to make your heart fly. I can clean a small rug stain, draw a cool jet plane, and cause you to cry. I am just like Superman, and my power is to make Like an airplane, I'm always on the go. My costume, my costume is bulletproof. I'm strong enough to leave a bruise, and I know how to sew. I dress in in a red poncho while wearing red boots that glow. I streak across the sky. I'd make a make a good hero if I wasn't such a zero and cause you to cry. I am just like Superman, and my power is to make.
Gang day. Ciao a tutti, sono Vena 